How's it going, horror fans? This is Fear on Tap, a weekly podcast dedicated to our love of horror entertainment, haunting rabbit holes, and of course, beer. This is one of your hosts, Miles Dompierre. And this is your other host, Amishieson. And welcome to our very first episode. Today, we'll be diving into the 1989 American body horror classic, Society. But before we dive into that, you probably want to know who we are and what the hell this show is. So what is this show? <laughs> yeah, what is this show? Well, uh, we're both horror fans, obviously, and Miles and I wanted to come together to do a podcast that was focusing on horror, but maybe in a bit of a different uh, angle. So we wanted this to be a bit more funny, perhaps a bit lighter, less in depth than other shows that you maybe heard before, but still very much focused on our love of horror and all its different forms. So whether it be movies, uh, TV shows or games, we wanted to talk about it all. And we're here today for that. We're both huge fans of horror in our own rights. I don't know, Miles, if you wanted to share maybe a bit more about your love for horror. Absolutely. Yeah, there's probably people listening to us saying, who the hell are these people to tell us about <laughs> horror? And for me, horror has been a huge part of my life. I remember watching my first R-rated horror movie at the tender age of six. Six years old, way too young to be watching horror. So shout out <laughs> to my parents for either being really good parents or really bad parents, depending on uh, who you talk to, because it's really kind of solidified my love for it. And uh, I work in the games industry covering Xbox for Windows Central. So I spend a lot of time talking about gaming and I'm excited to have an outlet where I can, you know, really geek out about horror without everyone um, rolling their eyes, because that's that's going to be the focus <laughs> here. And um, I'm excited to share the show with you and I'm excited to kick the show off. So. I, yes, not, not, not to put you on the spot here, but I, th I think it's yeah. kind of fun here. And I think we, sh we should maybe do this. Um, if there is one horror movie you could pick that kind of Oof. quantifies your taste in horror, what is it? What is the one movie mm. when you tell someone this is this is me in a in a horror nutshell? Oh, my God. Um, that's not something I've thought about. But if on the top of my head. Just because I think it is sort of like encompassing a lot of what I love in horror because I like when horror is both funny but also clever and artistic and well-made. So I think I have to go with, with Scream. I just have to go with Scream. And it's, it's going to sound super cliche for a lot of horror people out there being like, well, come on, like she's choosing Scream. But I swear, it's just very good and I don't care if people are snobbing it. It's, I love it. And it, it represents so many good things about horror for me. Yes. Scream. What a lot of people don't understand about Scream is it's a horror movie for horror nerds. Like that is yeah. the whole appeal of that movie is poking fun at all the cliches, poking fun of a lot of other movies. So if you're in the know, you get it. But if you're not, it's one of those movies that's, you know, maybe not as uh, beloved. But yes, yeah, mm -hmm. Scream. What about you? Solid choice for me. What uh, about you? Yeah. It's got to be Evil Dead 2. Evil Ooh, Dead 2 specifically. The perfect blend of just campy, over-the-top gore, uh, comedy, and and just and camp. Like, because for me, I, I have a, a long history with campy horror movies, and that's something that will always stay with me. And I think Evil Dead Two represents the best of campy horror. I love it. I kind of resonate with you with what you said earlier about you know horror being kind of like part of your life since you were a wee little child. Because it's it's very much the same for me. My mom was a huge horror fan. It still is, actually. She's still alive. Hello, mom. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, she was watching horror movies. And at home, we didn't have this like rule of, you know, age ratings and things like that. So <laughs> I was able to, you know, kind of 
that tag along and being okay with watching horror movies. And my, the first one that I remember watching was uh, the first Chucky, well, Child's Play. Um, and, you know, it is a very silly movie when you watch it as an adult. But as a child, you know, this was very uh, intense for me. And I was actually really scared of my dolls. And I told you this before, but for many years as a child, I would not go to bed without ensuring that all of my dolls and <laughs> toys were happy and well positioned in my bedroom because I didn't want them to kill me in my sleep. So, yeah, but it did sort of like trigger something within me, I guess, that made me want to know more and made me want to explore this part of my psyche more. And uh, here we are today. None of us are working in the horror industry or in the film industry, but we're huge horror fans and we wanted this show to be for horror fans by horror fans, obviously. Absolutely. I think that that sums it up pretty well. So let's talk a little bit about kind of the structure and what people can expect each week. So we have a kind of flow that we envision for this show here, and we're going to give you a rough idea of, of what that's going to look like uh, for each episode. So as, as the name suggests, fear on tap, beer. Beer has got to be a big portion of the show. So tell us a little bit about <laughs> how that's going to get factored into this podcast. Yeah, so basically, yeah, when we were choosing the name for the podcast, we were trying to find something clever, something that sounded fun and snappy, and we found Fear on Tap, and we ended up figuring out that we were both fans of beer as well, so we thought, that's perfect. And so one of our first segments of the show each, each week is going to be uh, pairing a beer with the subject that we're going to be talking about, so whether it be a movie or a TV show or a game, we're going to be also pairing a beer that we each individually picked on our side that we feel fits well with the subject at hand. And we're both going to present that to you and uh, just, you know, let, let you know what we feel is the best pairing for this uh, episode. Yes. And if you're listening at home um, and not driving, I stress that we encourage you <laughs> to uh, crack open a beer with us when we, when we get to that section there. Um, next Absolutely. up, we are going to have what we're calling our pointless tally and arbitrary <laughs> awards, which is a nice, fun, bite-sized basically explanation of what you can expect from whatever our main subject is going to be for the week. Um, and that's designed to be silly, a meaningless information that does a good job of kind of setting your expectations of, of what this is and what you should get out of this experience. I'm actually really excited for that section that nobody asks for, but we're doing it. <laughs> yeah, nobody asked for it, but we're out here making it happen, putting, mm -hmm. the, putting the big facts out in the universe. Let's do it. And Let's then following that is going to be kind of the central focus of each episode, which is going to be either a movie, a TV show or a game that is in the horror space. We're going to be sharing our thoughts on it. Uh, we're going to be sharing what we thought. Is it good? Is it bad? All that good stuff. And then after that, to add a little more kind of weight and substance to it, we're going to be sharing some fun facts and supplemental details as well. Mm hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, we wanted to make sure that we focused on, yeah, what we thought about the movie or game or TV show and share our thoughts and also add a bit of trivia, add a bit of, you know, additional details that perhaps uh, are really interesting. And then after that, we also wanted the, the, the show to not be just about, you know, what already exists in mainstream media, but also talk about things that are maybe a bit more underground. So one of the um, things that we thought about was that each of us would have a segment um, about something underground. And we were kind of like picking our brains at what we wanted that to look like. And so for my segment, uh, I'm going to be presenting to you guys a weekly rabbit hole. So basically something that I've 
gone down, <laughs> you know, during the week. And that kind of kept my attention. And each week is going to be something different, something for you to, uh, you know, kind of like put your teeth in until the next episode. And uh, I hope you're going to enjoy. And maybe, Miles, you want to talk a bit more about your segment about this. Absolutely. Yeah. So obviously community is a huge part of any any good podcast and we want to get you guys involved. So my section that I'm going to be spearheading is called Hometown Horror. And what this is, it's a community driven section where you talk about your local urban legends, your your own scary stories or your unexplainable experiences. Um, and we're going to drop our email at the end of the show so you can write in. But basically, I want this to be a highlight of a cool horror story from where you live that nobody else in the world would know about because I, I love the local legends. I love the local lore. And I uh, most importantly, I love those kind of scary campfire stories. So that's kind of my can't goal wait. with with the hometown horror section there. And obviously, I with this being that. our first episode, we don't have anyone writing in. So I'll be I'll be sharing a, a little <laughs> spooky tale of my own. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. <Da-da-da. laughs> And then obviously at the end of the show, we'll be letting you know exactly what you can expect from the next episode. So if you want to watch the movie, you want to play the game, you want to watch the show, we'll give you that at the very end. So you know kind of what to expect from next week's episode. All right. And then so it's time for a fair first segment. Uh, are you excited for the first beer pairing? Oh, let's do it. You're kicking off with <laughs> the very first one, our very first cheers on the podcast. I'm excited because, you know, nothing goes together like horror and beer. And um, for this week's episode, I, I found something that was just too perfect. Um, so what I picked was Ordinary Pleasure, which is an IPA from Weldworks Brewing Company out of Greeley, Colorado. And the primary reason, I'm not going to lie, that I picked this is because the tagline on the beer just encapsulates the finale of society in such an amazing way that I just couldn't pass it up. So the tagline for this beer is maximize all the pleasure. <laughs> and, <Ooh. laughs> and we'll get into this more as we when we talk about the crux of it. But, you know, with the Beverly Hills high life that's focused in this movie and this bougie society, if you will, um, pleasure is what they're there for. And I just thought that was such an apt apt name for for the the beer pairing i love that i love that um and so while i was looking for this because i literally went to the market today to, to search to search for the best beer for this episode and while i was looking for it i couldn't find anything that i felt was appropriate i was trying to find something fancy something something that felt like the elite um but then you know what miles something you know i realized something while while doing this and is the fact that I am not part of the elite and I don't like the extremely rich. <laughs> and I thought, you know what? I grew up in the projects and I should be proud of it. And so tonight for this episode, I'm drinking a cold 45. Yeah, shout out to the cold 45. <laughs> this was four Canadian dollars and I'm going to drink it with pride out of the can. No pretension. And hashtag eat the rich. Hey. I love that because again, I was, I was, had this conflicting thought. I was like, do I, you know, pander to the bougie side of this movie, the, the Beverly Hills high class society, or do I pander to the, ex- the, the ugly extremes that this movie portrays here? <laughs> so I was a little bit torn and I'm glad, you know, you went the opposite way that I went. We can complete each other and I'm going to drink this with pride. I have not drank a Colt 45 in probably 12 years, but um, I'll let you know if it's okay. Hopefully it is. 
<laughs> well, there yeah, is no time go. like the present. <laughs> so cheers to episode one. Let's and do cheers it. to society. Cheers. I'm gonna do a little beer can. Oh yeah, hopefully yes. we get that, hopefully get that little crack. Oh yes. All right. Well, cheers, Miles, to this first episode. I'm excited to get into it. Let's let's jump right. straight into the pointless tally for society. Yes. So things you can expect when you're watching this outrageous movie, this unforgettable movie, 36 conjoined limbs, 11 Ooh. sweaty teens, uh, one mm. awkward sibling shower scene, two outrageous fist insertions, Love one that. vaginal sister reveal, and one literal butthead father. I, I love that for us. Um, and okay. And so for, <laughs> for the arbitrary awards, that's hilarious. Um, I have three arbitrary awards to give to society. So congratulations society for the creepiest opening credit song ever. So <laughs> this is a reworked version of the um, Ethan boating song. And it's actually very creepy. So I invite you to listen to it because it's very creepy and it's going to haunt my dreams for probably at least two months. Um, after this, we have the award for the most crisp, high quality tape recorder of its time. You're going to if you watch this movie, you're going to know what we're talking about. There's a tape recorder in this movie that um, they're listening to, and it is the best audio quality I've ever heard <laughs> out of a tape recorder in a movie, especially when the movie was made in the 80s. So love that. And also. Congratulations for the most number of wasted yellow apples in a movie because our dear Billy always takes only one bites of apple and then just leaves it back in the bowl afterwards. So, you know, that's something to probably not be celebrated, but, you know, should be acknowledged. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yay. Congratulations for your awards. Society. These prestigious <laughs> awards. I'm glad we could honor you all these decades later. <laughs> All right, so we, sure we, means a lot. <laughs> we got to talk about society here because this is a a strange cult movie that not a lot of my friends have seen and not a lot of people I know even in like the the horror space have seen as well. Um, it came out at a weird time. Uh, it was it was produced in 1989, but not re released in the U.S. until 1992. So there's a mm -hmm. weird gap. So it it missed the horror rush of the 80s and landed in the early 90s. Um, the special effects artist for this movie is Joji Tani, um, who is known for his amazing work in titles like Big Trouble in Little China, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 3 and 4, when things got really surreal. So the dude knows how to make surrealist horror. And that's kind of really where this movie shines. Um, the overall premise, we have we have Billy, a rich Beverly Hills bad boy, if you will, who lives with <laughs> his high class parents. and his parents they don't they don't like his lifestyle they don't like that he's playing basketball they don't like the friends that he's hanging out with and he's like you know what mom and dad i'm not gonna be a part of society bro <laughs> <laughs> nice plug miles <laughs> and that's for, what's the most funny about the funny thing about that is that is pretty much the vibe of this movie. It's it's so on the nose with oh yeah, <laughs> society's bad, bro. Don't conform to society. They literally say shit like that in the movie. They say society a lot in the movie. They said the word. You probably should have calculated each time they said the word society. That would have been a good. Damn it, that would have been a really good one. Oh, next time, next time. Okay, got got to think big picture there. So yeah, overall thoughts for you. You, obviously this wasn't the first time that we had seen it um yeah 
Are you in the pro-society camp or uh, against society camp? Oh, I am pro-society the movie. Let's be clear. <laughs> um, <laughs> Anti-society I- <laughs> in reality. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm definitely pro-society um, uh, because I think this movie didn't necessarily get the fair treatment it deserved back in the day when it came out, especially in the U.S. And we'll touch upon this a bit later. But um, no, it's honestly, it is so on the nose, like you said, but it's made in a very self-aware way. It's both a movie that is funny and hilarious at times, but also very clever and has deeper meanings that I think, you know, are worth looking into. And um, no, I really loved uh, that movie. It's so fun. It's a really great time. I really definitely recommend people watching it and giving it a chance for sure. Yeah, the the, the big thing with this movie is I'm, I've, I'm kind of torn on it because I like the overall concept. I like this kind of deconstruction of upper class versus lower class. And again, like we touched on, it's not subtle. It is just yeah. beating <laughs> you in the face with that message in an extreme way. But I would say the first 85% of the, or so of this movie is kind of cliche, kind of mm. bad at times, very uh, of the era in a lot of uh, kind of negative ways. But then the way it kind of culminates into this, this grand finale makes the, the last 15% more than makes up for the first 85% mm. of this movie. Because when you get the, the big reveal of, of what society is, after Billy's been struggling to uncover this this mystery of what's been happening in his Beverly Hills town and you know why yeah. his his parents and his therapist and everyone in his life is pressuring him to um be a contributing member of society um oh it's it's so good it's just a feast <laughs> for the eyes um and it's got one of some of the best practical effects in any any horror yes. movie hands yes. down I agree. And I think that, you know, I agree with you that, you know, at the beginning of the movie, I think there's sort of lengthy periods of time during the movie where you're like, okay, we get it. Like, you know, everybody's gaslighting Billy into thinking he's crazy, Mm -hmm. (laughs) including the psychiatrist. Um, And uh, we get it. The movie is definitely not subtle about it. But at the same time, I think it is sort of self-aware in the sense that I think it's made to maybe make you almost second guess whether it's self-aware or whether it's some sort of diversion or something, because it's so obvious. You're like, it can't be that. Like, are they, all these people are not all bad people. Like, you know, there's, there's sort of this um, second guessing that, that occurred to me. And I remember when I was first watching it, like, oh, it's too on the nose. It can't be that. And then it almost makes the climax more impactful because you're like, no, it was that. <laughs> like everybody in this town almost who is rich is part of this cult. Cult uh, slash species slash society. <laughs> yes, part of everyone in this town is part of society. Um, yeah, they, they do a good job kind of making you think that, oh, maybe it's in Billy's head. Because as mm-hmm. you go through the movie, he's sitting down and he's having these sessions where he's talking about you know, his paranoia involving his parents, thinking he's adopted, thinking that his family is involved in incest. Incest oh, yeah. is a big, big part of this movie and in a mm-hmm. very odd, odd way. Um, and and basically during these sessions, he's getting information that makes him feel like maybe it is all in his head. Maybe this maybe he's overanalyzing things. Maybe this isn't the reality. Maybe he does need to be a part of the the system if you will yeah yeah but at the same time i feel like it is quite obvious that it's not in his head because blanchard is best friend and like 
sister's ex-boyfriend-ish, something like that. Um, he seems to be into the same sort of like, quote unquote, delusion that the movie is trying to make you believe. So obviously, Billy is not alone thinking these things. So it kind of makes you think, OK, no, something is definitely going on here. It's not just in his head for sure. Yeah. So the the overarching kind of conflict of this movie is that there's a coming out party for Billy's sister. And the, the, not that kind of coming out. Yeah. The, the coming out here is in this old school, weird, conservative sense where you have a coming out party that says, like, I'm old enough to date now. Like, mm -hmm. that's that's the vibe of this coming out party. But all these high class people from Billy's family, um, the mayor, I think, of the town is involved. Like, there's all these yeah. like rich people involved with this coming out party. And um, Billy's focused on basketball. Billy, oh, that's yeah. his jam. He's a rebel bad boy. The, <laughs> op the opening scene for this had me dying because it's Billy and his buddy in short shorts just hooping on yes! each other. They're playing b-ball. And then Billy, who is like five foot seven, there's no way he's taller than five foot seven, comes up, dunks on his friend, straight slam dunks on him. And I just, of all the ridiculous things and unbelievable things in this movie, that is the most unbelievable. That five foot seven Billy is is dunking on his friend. Yeah, I know nothing about basketball. <laughs> I think I think you have to be tall, but maybe not. Maybe, you know, go Billy. Uh, <laughs> but at the same time, um, one thing that I noticed, especially in that opening scene that you were talking about, is that I really miss, you know what? I really miss the 80s short shorts. I miss them. I think we need more of them. Show them legs, boys. You yeah, know, get, like, him, get him out there. We had that movie. <laughs> this movie is packed with short shorts and tank tops. Boys just yeah. showing it off out there. I had I, I almost had a sleepaway camp sort of fever dream when I saw his outfit, because this this is an outfit straight out of uh, sleepaway camp with these shorts. Love that. Absolutely love that. So, again, we, we got to spend a little time talking about the the, the, the climax of this movie, the, the big culmination, because oh, yeah. it is That's filled. The with just scene after scene of things that at, if I watched this in 1992, I, I don't even think my mind could have processed it. I didn't watch this <laughs> until like much until a few years ago was the first time I saw this movie. But back for its time, if this had been a movie that especially if you were able to see in a theater, mm -hmm. oh, I, I wanted to be in in the theater in 1992 and just seeing the audience react to this final scene, because after Billy's been struggling with this conflict conflict yeah. he learns that this coming out party is basically this big introduction for his sister into you know what this means for them moving forward and blanchard who you touched on who was part of this conspiracy to take down the family who you think yep. dies there's a tragic automobile accident earlier in the film and you think he's dead he is now there again alive uh only briefly only for very, about a minute. <laughs> yeah, for about one minute. And then he is consumed. All of these people yeah. circle around him and literally latch their faces on. And there's this disgusting prosthetic effect where their mouth is being stretched out. They're sucking mm -hmm. on his body. They're sticking their fingers into his flesh. It's like it's all lubed up. <laughs> he's all lubed up. Or like fingers like going into butt cheek skin, like very, very graphic, intense scene. And then it ends with... <laughs> I, there's no way to put this um, other than <laughs> Just, saying it is wait. like the most graphic fisting scene I've ever seen in a movie. Mm -hmm. the, the, <laughs> the mayor character is basically like straddling Blanchard as he's being like, 
eaten by everyone. He mm-hmm. like takes his hand, shoves it right up Blanchard's butt, and then goes up through his body and then puts his fist through Blanchard's mouth and like grabs the top of his head as he's and through, eyes and <laughs> eyes and is just. It is one of the most uncomfortable scenes I think I've seen in um, any horror movie. Yeah, and it's very detailed and it is lengthy, just enough to make you feel kind of like, okay, like we can move on, (laughs) you know, but I I loved it. And then it sort of like leads in like onto this next scene where everybody is sort of merged together. Like all the, the whole party almost is becoming this one big creature almost all merged together and everybody's naked and everybody's fucking and everybody's eating Blanchard and having a jolly good old time. And the whole time I was looking at this, this, this scene and this sequence, all I could think of is how much lube did they use to make this? Because everybody is so lubed up and oily. I hate it. I hate it, but I love it. Yeah, everyone is looking really greasy. That's that's one thing I noticed in this movie. I, I touched on the sweaty teens. They spent mm. a lot of time making everyone look wet in this movie. No matter what the scene <laughs> yeah. was, like they were wet, whether it be like moisture water or this scene where everyone's just covered in like grease and lube and just oiled up. 90% of the movie, the people you see on screen are wet in some capacity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and they call it when they when they were sort of like eating Blanchard alive. They call it the shunting, um, oh, which yes. I thought was an interesting word because at first they were mentioning shunting and I was like, what the heck is shunting? Like, what is that? <laughs> and they really mean that's basically consuming the poor, consuming the lower class, consuming people that are not part of, of their society. And that's what they call the shunting is. And so they were planning on doing a shunting for um, Blanchard and they're doing like a double that one night and they were planning to shunt Billy as well. Yes. So again, this movie is not subtle at all with it, with its themes, but in this big culmination, they kind of touch on the big meat of what this movie is about. And there's quotes like some people make the rules and some people follow the rules. It's a question of what you're born to. So they're talking about these themes of like classism and upper class and poor and how basically literally the movie is about the, the rich sucking the life out of the poor. Yeah, which I thought was like interesting, though, because if I have one maybe little criticism about this specific message in the movie and this specific specific sequence, too, is that they look at Billy and they're sort of telling him that, you know, he's a subclass of species and he's not part of them and all of that. But Billy grew up rich as hell. (laughs) Like Billy grew up with them in the mansion that they live in. And I understand like he's a human. He's not part of their species of society or whatever it is. But he did grow up super rich and was super privileged his whole life. So I thought at the same time, like, I understand he's not part of the species, but at the same time, he's definitely not a representative of the the poor or the lower class. You know what I mean? Yeah, they don't do a really good job definitively saying whether or not he's adopted because he thinks he's adopted. He mentions, mentions that during one of his sessions. And then there's a few like digs from other characters in the movie suggesting that he might be adopted, but there's Mm -hmm. no big reveal that, Oh, he is adopted. And that's why we're eating him because he wasn't actually part of our, our born into this. And that's why we get to eat him. We were just waiting for him to be an adult to eat him. I I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I I agree. I think, I think it's, um, it's a little bit, unfortunate because i almost feel like 
the the plot would have benefited better if they picked perhaps a better way either to make Billy be a, a proper representative of the lower class or used another character to be the victim of this shunting to be sort of like the the poor quote unquote because I feel like Billy like I said is is a rich there's a rich kid you know? yeah so like. Billy is a badass in the way that Michael J. Fox in Back to the oh, yeah. Future is a badass. Like in this movie, he feels like a Michael J. Fox doppelganger. Like mm -hmm. the way that he's against society is that he has a Jeep with the top down and a vanity plate that says hoops on it. And that's him <laughs> sticking it to the man. And that's yeah. it. Like that's the only thing that differentiates him from his like bougie parents in this movie. I'm so, not like the other boys. <laughs> I'm not like the other boys. I just want to play basketball and drive my Jeep. It's like so, which you can do because you're rich, Billy. Exactly, you're rich enough to have vanity plates. All right, on your Jeep, dude. Come on. Exactly, and but but there was, however, one twist that I enjoyed that you know they sort of touch um touch on earlier, but I thought compared to the other sort of very obvious uh, plot points in the movie, uh, Clarissa, which is the sexy brunette uh, uh, yes. that Billy becomes a bit infatuated with. Um, to the to the horror of his girlfriend um, is that Clarissa at first sort of almost is presented as, oh, she's going to be the undoing of Billy. You know, yes. she's she's hot. She's after him. She's spreading her legs, you know, like in front of the, the school debate about dress code. <laughs> and then they end up going back to he goes to a party at Ted Ferguson, which is like the you know, popular asshole of the school. There's always a need for a popular asshole of the school. And he ends up actually uh, having sex with her. And we get a little glimpse that her body and limbs are like all twisty. And so, you know, she's definitely sus. And we think, at least I thought, I was like, okay, she's not a good person. You know, she's part of the plan to basically undo Billy, whatever that means. And I was very surprised, actually, that that didn't end up happening on her part. Yeah, they do a really good job playing her up as as a villain. Yeah, you see her mm. and she's basically like this your your cliche seductress. Like you yeah. based on like the themes of the movie and what you what you assume is going to happen, you think okay, she's she's here to lure Billy in to a either join society, the societal mass if you will, yeah. or lure him into a, a position where he can be consumed by society. Yeah. And yeah, like you said, uh, they they spun that around, and she ends up being a, a a basically like savior figure for for Billy in his almost mm -hmm. final moments. I think, yeah, without her, I don't think he would have you know made it pretty much. Well, actually, no. You know what? No, the credit goes to, scratch that. The credit goes to Clarissa's mom, Mrs. Carlin, who is introduced earlier in the movie when Billy goes to the beach with his girlfriend. And um, that beach, that whole beach sequence, by the way, we have to like do a bit of a um, <laughs> do a bit of a flashback to there because it was it, it was something. But Mrs. Carlin is Clarissa's mom. And Mrs. Carlin is like this very tall woman who doesn't really talk. She just does these like weird ogre sounds. Yeah. <laughs> just grunts like she's like seen throughout the movie eating hair and grunting. And being bullied by her daughter. <laughs> Like she, I don't understand because I think because they don't really show her participating into the shunting and all of that. But Clarissa is definitely part of the society. So I'm guessing her mom is as well. But they clearly did not invite the mom to the to the coming out party. So what I'm thinking and that's my theory. And let me know what you think. 
is that Clarissa's mom is part of the 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 species that they are, but perhaps is um not classy or you know she's maybe part a part of the species that's not like um a uh, 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 part of the normal humanized version of their creatures where she's not able perhaps to talk or to act normal in a society and so she's kind of you know put apart and she's not invited to the party she's not invited to the different events that they're doing and clarissa is because she's pretty and she goes to school and she's able to act in a normal way but i don't think mrs carlin is able to like she eats hair and she's obsessed with hair (laughs) so and i think maybe that's why clarissa ultimately perhaps isn't totally in into the whole society thing because even though she's kind of mean to her mom, I think, you know, she loves her mom and maybe they don't, she doesn't like that society is excluding, you know, her family from all these things. And maybe that's why she already has a little bit of a hatred towards it. There we go. Our society touching on some deeper themes here, mm. breaking down, you know, some of the, the stereotypes for beauty. So not only do you have mm. to be born into this upper elite, but you have to be you know, quote unquote, beautiful in their eyes, Mm because everyone in this movie obviously is your stereotypical blonde, sexy white person like that. That is this cast, like very, very blonde and very white. It's not a diverse cast. Uh, No, (laughs) no, (laughs) no. I would actually now that I think about it, is there any diversity in this cast? Is there or is it 100 percent? white? I think I could say it's 100 percent white people. Pretty much. Maybe maybe aside from like background actors at the school but i think that's it like and even then i don't i I don't recall seeing and like anyone who wasn't white like pure white so i i don't know so maybe that's also intentional as part of their uh, commentary on what society quote quote big air quotes is um yeah i wonder i i wonder because i haven't while doing some research i didn't read anything in regards to that but I think it would make sense if it was on purpose, but at the same time, I can't really assume the intention. So we don't know, but we don't know. It is what it is. (laughs) An interesting anecdote, something that I definitely noticed while watching this. Yeah. And yeah. So when I was talking about the beach uh, sequence, what are your thoughts about what happened at the beach? It, the, the beach scene feels so disconnected as 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 in like the director just said we're gonna do a bunch of stuff and i'm gonna film it and we're gonna make it into the movie like it's billy and his girlfriend laying on a towel at the beach just you know billy's putting suntan lotion she's complaining that todd ferguson or, or whatever his name is didn't invite them to the party and then these two little boys come up take the mm-hmm. sunscreen, blast them in the face with sunscreen and like guns and run away. And then Billy chases them down. Clarissa comes up, grabs the, the sunscreen and just <laughs> blasts sunscreen all over Billy's face. And he's just like agape, like staring up at her, like sexuality mm-hmm. or whatever's mm-hmm. going on in that scene. And um, yeah, a lot to unpack in the, the beach sequence. There was one thing that I liked, however, I agree with you, by the way, because that scene to me was so weird like it was so random i felt i was like why why what is going on what is this whole sunscreen thing going on and but i still liked it but i felt it was kind of out of place too but he because he also goes to because his girlfriend wants to go to the party because there's a fancy party at ferguson's house ferguson mm-hmm. again who's yeah. the who's the asshole of the school that everybody loves and he goes to ferguson and that's where i remember that i miss movies before cell phones were a thing because Ferguson says, 
you know what? I don't think we have anything going on this week because he's kind of like not inviting him to the party. And he says, you know what? If I, if I have something going on, I'll send you a telegram, which I thought is not a, you know, it's not a sentence that we hear anymore. In movies. I'll send you a telegram. Yeah. Not yeah. a text, not a Snapchat, <laughs> a telegram. It puts that movie in a that. very specific period of time because yeah. Which he does, by the way. Yeah. He does send him, <laughs> he, he does, does send him a, a telegram. telegram. Literally does. <laughs> Like yeah. at first, I thought that was a joke, like a dig at him. Like, yeah, I'll send you too. a telegram. Like, haha, you're not getting an invite, you loser. And then when he actually mm. does later on, I'm like, oh, that's how they communicate in this period of yeah. time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So if we come back to the sort of climax of the film, and uh, perhaps we can sort of close on on this whole thing. But um, what was your thought on sort of how it all, after the shunting of Blanchard? You know, after the judge sort of. Fists, fists him all and consumes him and then everybody sort of gets merged into together at some point they stop and they start dressing back up a little bit and they're preparing for the next shunting which is the shunting of billy and basically he's pinned to the ground and eventually clarissa is able to sort of untie him from the ground and he's liberated but doesn't really go any far very far because there's a lot of people so he gets stopped pretty quickly but he challenges ted ferguson to a duel like a fighting duel and everybody's just like okay <laughs> we'll do that and i thought that was interesting i wonder what are your thoughts on that whole thing okay before we get into the duel we we gotta yeah. circle back to the the family bedroom scene that happens uh, oh yes right <laughs> Right. So before the the epic showdown, Billy breaks free, runs up to his parents' bedroom. And this scene of the movie is is the most ridiculous in my eyes. (laughs) Billy opens the door. He's running from his therapist who has like a a Mm -hmm. dog basically harness trying to like pin him down with us again. Walks in. His mom is laying in the bed and you see big, humongous like man arms, (laughs) like obviously giant, like ogre man arms, like hairy, huge. And she's like, oh, hello, Billy. I'm glad you could join us. And then she stomps out of bed with these big giant arms Mm. for legs and no arms and waddles over to Billy. And Billy's obviously taken aback by the the appearance of his mom. And then if that wasn't bad and creepy enough, Billy's sister comes out of his mom's vagina. Her head comes out. And she as one does as one. (laughs) Yeah. And she makes some disgusting (laughs) joke about him, like fulfilling some fantasy with Mm -hmm. with her as her head is just coming come out of her mother's vagina. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so Billy tries to like scramble away and then he he goes to the bed and then waddling from the bed is this just pair of legs. And then you see that Billy's father is inside the asshole. Uh, his face is inside the asshole of this walking pair of legs in the bedroom. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is a, I, there is an amazing callback because earlier in the movie, there's a confrontation between Billy and his dad and Billy gets all pissed and is, is storming out saying he's leaving. He says, fuck you, butthead, which mm-hmm. that line already is gold, like killer ha- having, <laughs> Having the hard fuck you and then butthead at the end yeah. is like so, so good in of itself. And then you get to this <laughs> scene where they're back in the bedroom. His dad is in a butt. And then his dad turns to him and says, 
you know what, Billy? You were right. I guess I am a butthead. <laughs> and it's just, just applause, standing ovation that level. That was so good. Oh. That was so good. This movie has so many random one-liners that are actually so good. Some of them don't make, don't make much sense. Like, I remember when Billy was um, about to have sex with Clarissa, she just says very, you know, seductively, she calls him a, uh, wait, what is it? A jelly, a jelly machine or something like that. <laughs> so Dude, there's, there's so many good one-liners in this. And um, after, after that scene where they have sex, they're sitting there and she's pouring coffee. And so she has a cup of coffee for Billy. And she's like, how do you like your coffee? Cream? Sugar? Or do you want me to pee in it? And I'm like, oh, oh, that took me <laughs> that took me by surprise. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so it's just it's stacked. It's so stacked with amazing one line because not only are they like in line with '80s cliche one liners, mm -hmm. but they take all of those one liner stereotypes and flip them. So you never really see it coming because it's stuff oh, no, that yeah. no human ever says in real life. It's very. It's almost like. I feel, and again, that's maybe me looking into it too much, but it's almost like, yeah, like they're trying to act human. So they're saying these things, but they're the most ridiculous things that you've never heard before. Like who calls someone a mean jelly machine? Like what? <laughs> oh, oh. So I wonder, you know, I wonder if it's all on purpose or if I'm just kind of looking into it too much. But yeah, uh, that, that bedroom scene was very odd but also great because i think you know we don't we don't see a lot of those what the fuck you know moments anymore i feel in movies where you're like what is that in front of my eyes right now and why did they think of this and one thing that you know is sort of being touched upon in this movie obviously is that the whole family is sort of having sex together and we hear that in the tapes uh it's you know shown sort of in the the, the ending scenes where they're doing the shunting and everything. But what I wonder is if these species, are they actually a family or are they just random people sort or are families a thing? Cause I wonder, are they, is it just like a species that's okay with incest or is it just that they're not really a family? So it doesn't matter. Cause they definitely fuck. Yes. That, that is a, <laughs> a thing that happens. Uh, the parents and the sister, you know? Yeah. So I, what I kind of gather is that society is basically a, a parasite, like a mm. singular entity. So they are all part of this. They can like separate and quote unquote, go about their lives. But really what society, society again, in big air quotes is, just it, one thing. is this big entity that just mm. sucks the life off of the poor. I think you're right. Yeah. I think that makes sense actually. Yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> so again, circling back to the, the, the big climax between, um, Ferguson and Billy, um, mm -hmm. which again, I mentioned there were two outrageous fisting scenes in, yes. um, in this movie. And this is where the second one comes in. So like you said, for whatever reason, everyone's like, yeah, you guys are fighting. We are going to stand on the sidelines and watch you duke it out. <laughs> so it yeah. starts off normal. They're just punching each other, knocking each other around. And then they both get on their knees and they're fighting and struggling. And then Billy takes his fist, connects it with his torso, and then just jams it into it, into his stomach. And again, mm -hmm. similar to our, our poor Blanchard, Billy goes up through this dude's mouth. Hand yeah. comes out of his mouth. Fingers coming out of the back of his eyes, popping his eyeballs out. Uh -huh. He grabs the head and inverts 
completely yes. inverts Ferguson so that his yes. insides are on the outside. And it is so good. It is so, so good. And I love that there's a character that actually acknowledges what happened. Because I think on the ground, you just see this pile of, you know, sort of goo and blood and limbs and stuff. And someone just says, he's inverted or like he's inside out. Because <laughs> at first, I honestly necessarily wouldn't have recognized that from that shot. But I was like, thank you, random person who acknowledged this moment for confirming that he did in indeed turn Ted Ferguson inside out. <laughs> And it, it's so because what I love most about the ending is because that happens. And then three minutes later, the movie's done. Like the movie oh, yeah. ends, they run outside, get in his Jeep and drive off. And that is the Thanks end of the Mrs. movie. Mrs. Carlin. Oh, that's true. Again. Shout out. Because, <laughs> because he tried to escape a few times and Mrs. Carlin actually, you know, helped Cl Clarissa, I guess, because, you know, mommy and daughter and uh, saves Billy and kind of knocks out people. And I think Billy is able to sort of run away because of that. And then they leave Mrs. Carlin there. Like they oh, yeah, leave that's right. That's the, that's, they do leave her at the very end. That's right. Like, like they did her so yeah. dirty because like, they leave with his friend who was like, oh, yeah. What about this guy who is his friend and like disguised as a cop who is just there? And they just go along with it. There's yeah. just a random cop child was, hanging out in the background. not participating. No. He's just lurking around the, like literally sticking his nose above yeah. the couch, just like peeking in, watching all these people devour other people. It was so funny. But yeah, and then they leave with, yeah, with Billy leaves with Clarissa and this guy who I can't remember his name for the life of me. And they just leave Mrs. Carlin there. I'm like, they're going to, they're going to kill her or something. <laughs> you know, like, why are you leaving Mrs. Carlin there? She did nothing wrong, but eat a few balls of hair. Exactly. Okay. The unsung hero of society. <laughs> not enough respect on, on Mrs. Mrs. Carlisle. Yeah, she she's great. And, you know, I think she is the true MVP of this movie. And I will die on that hill. <laughs> I will. I really will. <laughs> <laughs> so do you have other thoughts in terms of the contents of the movie or things that you noticed um because if not uh we could go into a bit of like trivia and additional sort of details about the production and, and the movie and how it got made and everything yeah so now that you guys have listened to us kind of ramble about our thoughts on what this is and how we felt and the ridiculous scenes let's get into some of the the info about the the production and and the kind of odd reception and rollout of this movie mm-hmm yeah, so before we get into a bit of a deeper sort of um, commentary, let's say, on what happened with the production, I did want to touch up on just some fun trivia. Um, and uh, I wanted to just share that with you guys because I think it's just interesting to know. So uh, one thing to note is the original script actually had a different uh, finale uh, where the secret society was shown to have a cult that was out to sacrifice Billy, but not because of the whole like eat the poor kind of thing. It was just a random other crazy reason why they were sacrificing people and it was actually brand new the uh the director of the film who wanted something a bit more uh epic you know for the finale finale of the movie and the whole and to kind of bring this meaning for the movie together and so he's the one who came up with the idea of this being a whole sort of commentary on society and this big merged creature that you know eats the lower class that was something that came from brian Yuzna because originally this was not part of the the movie 
Another fun fact is that Brian Yuzna uh, says that he was only allowed to direct this film if he agreed to also direct Bride of Reanimator the year after. So this is something that I did not know. So, uh, you know, Brian Yuzna, uh, who directed Bride of Reanimator and also, I believe, produced the first Reanimator. Am I wrong, Mike? Correct. So, yeah, he was one of the uh, the co-producers of the iconic Reanimator. Mm-hmm. And again, I part of the the contract to get society made was that he had to agree to do some kind of sequel to Reanimator. Yeah. Which I thought was interesting because, you know, it's uh it's always these inner workings that we're not aware of. So I I thought it was interesting to to know about that. And another fun fact and this one is probably one of my favorite because I totally see it is that the design of the creature um is inspired a, a lot in parts by paintings from Salvador Dali. Um and you know, because if you look, and I can't remember the name of the painting, and maybe we can follow that up on social media, but um, there is a painting that really looks like the scene on the couch where everybody's sort of merged together and sort of are all individuals, but all connected, you know, and some of them are merged, some of them are a bit more separated, but it, with the limbs coming out and everything, it, it looks very similar to some of the things that you've seen in Dali's paintings. So these are just fun little trivia bits <laughs> that I that I saw while researching for the movie. And now the most, I think, interesting sort of thing that we can discuss is the reception and of the movie and how it released and what happened. And before I get into my thoughts, I wanted to know when you were sort of looking into it, what did you notice? And did you have any thoughts on the reception of the movie at the time? Yeah, because like we touched on at the start, this was filmed in 1989, but not released Mm -hmm. until 1992. And it was a dud when it released in the US. Like, yeah, even after years of it being out in in other countries, it did not perform well for American audiences. They were very kind of confused by it. And if you look at basically, you know, the kind of conservative culture in, in the US around that time surrounding it. I get why it's a, it's a very abstract movie. It's a very mm-hmm. radical movie. Um, and this was kind of post hair metal pre grunge era USA. We yeah. have, we hadn't come into our own in terms of like pushing the boundaries of media. We were used uh-huh. to like full house and uh tool time and all of these like family friendly focused, mm. silly light shows. And this, this movie was not that this movie was dark and weird and disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because it released in Europe in Europe uh, earlier, three years earlier, if I remember. And um, I was doing some research about it because I thought it was really interesting. And I was watching this video from Joe Blow Horror Originals on YouTube. And he was talking about this very uh, thing that we're discussing right now. And he pulled a quote from the director, uh, Brian Yuzna. And the quote says, I think Europeans are more willing to accept the ideas that are in a movie. Society did really well in Europe. But in the U.S., it was a big joke. I think it's because they responded to the ideas there in Europe. Um, And he continues to say, I was totally having fun with them, but they are there nonetheless, which I think is an interesting sentiment. And I'm and and I'm tempted to, you know, totally agree, um, because when you look into the the film industry in Europe and in the U.S., especially back in the day, it was very different. And I think the audiences were molded in very different ways in Europe versus in the US. I think in, uh, in, in Europe, and by the way, for those who are not aware, I'm French, so I'm French Canadian, but 
since my whole life, I've always had access, a better access, obviously, to French movies that were from <laughs> from Europe. So, you know, I've always loved French movies. And one thing that I've noticed um, is that European films have always been a bit more daring and a bit more abstract. And I think the audiences were just responding way better to that way earlier <laughs> than in the U.S. I think that in the U.S., perhaps we or North America, should I say, We've sort of grown into having a more open mind, I think, especially after, you know, the Netflixes and the Hulus, uh, you know, of the world. Now that we have access to a wider range of movies and foreign, you know, um, productions and things like that. But back in the day, especially, you know, where in Europe, people were OK with seeing nudity, uh, were a bit more, I think, trained to look for deeper meanings. Also, the way that funding and finances work in terms of producing a movie in Europe is very different. Uh, European movies tend to be very cheaper, um, usually. So, you know, I think that people are okay with practical effects a bit more and are also trained to look for, uh, to look for deeper meanings in movies that are bidding a lot on the narrative more than the surface level sort of epicness that maybe Hollywood <laughs> was doing at the time. So I think, yeah, I think it didn't get a very fair uh, reception in the US, but I think now people are catching on to it and uh, giving it its chance. Yeah. With, with the basically introduction of the internet, a lot of these movies that didn't do anything when they first launched are getting traction again because people are like, how did how did people miss this? This is this yeah. was doing something really different for its time. Uh, you mentioned French horror. Quick shout out to French horror, which is some oh, yeah. of the most absolutely vile and intense mm -hmm. uh, horror that exists. And a, a lot of it is, you know, they're not afraid to touch on themes that are dark, mm -hmm. themes that are heavy. Um, I love society because of of the risks that they took with what they could show yeah. on a screen. Uh, the the scene with um, his sister in the shower. Billy walks into the bathroom. His sister's in the shower. He notices that her butt <laughs> butt cheeks are facing one way. Yeah. And then she has boobs on her back. Yeah, and facing so, the same way. <laughs> facing the same way. So he's sitting there staring at his sister in the shower, confused, and walks up and like opens the door to see like what mm. is going on. And then she's she's normal there. But like that scene, like. How many movies do that? You have like the the the, yeah. the brother walking on the sister who's in the shower and the sister's got boobs on her back and he's trying to like investigate what's going on with his sister's body. Like things like that. Yeah. You, especially <laughs> at that time, nobody nobody was doing that. Yeah. So, yeah, I think they dared a lot more than I think people were daring at the time, especially from, you know, an American production. So, I think yeah, it it worked quite well in Europe but then when it came out in the US I don't think people were ready for this type of uh <laughs> of horror yet or because there's other there's other 80s films that are very sort of out there or even controversial you know from the time and they sort of stayed very underground and very um sort of you know uh ostracized almost where people were avoiding them you know and nowadays People are coming back to revisiting, I think, the history of film in with a more open mind. And I think movies like Society will get their fair chance from the viewer and maybe get a second wind, <laughs> you know, from the, the horror audiences. And with a media now and social media and the different streaming services that exist, 
there's new generations of horror fans that are being born and being molded to explore this history. And I'm hoping that younger horror fans will give, give these movies a chance because they're part of the history and they, they are part of what influenced more recent movies maybe that you like. People talk about these quote-unquote elevated horror <laughs> stuff all the time these days. But one thing that people don't realize is that a lot of this t style, I think, of horror has been existing for a while. It's just that it wasn't as, I guess, uh, carefully, s s maybe subtle as maybe some movies that we've seen mm -hmm. more recently, like, you know, Hereditary or like Midsommar and like things like that. Um, and the term elevated horror in itself is, you know. <laughs> it's hotly debated. Uh, yeah. A lot of quote unquote true horror nerds hate the term. Yeah. Hate the uh, term elevated horror because it's pretentious and horror yeah. for me, it's never been about being pretentious. I agree. I agree. And I think society does a good job of, of being quote unquote elevated without taking itself too seriously which I really liked about this movie because this movie from the surface of it is the surface of it is quite ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. It's silly as hell. It's a goofy, yeah. goofy movie. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. So those were just kind of like thoughts. I'm happy that people are revisiting society and, you know, I'm on Letterboxd all the time and I'm really happy to see people, you know, reviewing it and watching it for the first time and experiencing this first, what the fuck <laughs> whenever, you know, uh, that, last sequence of the movie occurs and uh i'm really happy about it so i hope that people really enjoyed our little sort of chaotic analysis and comments on society and uh you know we can't wait to to, to watch other movies and go into that with you uh folks but before we go to the other segment did you have any other comments that you wanted to add about the additional details or trivia yeah i i just think you know it's exciting to see society kind of have this resurgence. And as with most cult things, like even things we don't associate with a, with a cult following nightmare on Elm street. A lot of people forget that that was a big dud. That was oh, a yeah, big dud when it launched and then gained traction over time because more and more people found it. Um, mm -hmm. So again, it, it's cool to see people now in, in modern message boards talking about society. This, this obscure movie that if you asked anyone 10 years ago, 15 years ago about society, 99% of people would have no idea what you were talking about. Yeah. <laughs> and it might be encouraging for creators and filmmakers and actors, I think, because if there's one thing we can say, because obviously people can be very harsh on the Internet when it comes to reviewing movies and all these things. And I think. This can show that even if you maybe release something that didn't have the warmest reception, it's never too late. Maybe in 15 years, you'll have a podcast like us talking about your movie and how underrated it was. That's right. <laughs> what we're really saying is that society was the first elevated horror movie and it deserves a reboot. <laughs> oh, you know what? I'm not against it, though. Let's go. Let's get, let's get the hereditary gang on that. Come on. Yeah. Man. Come on, A24. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, so then we can move, I guess, to our next sort of segments, which are our own little things that we wanted to talk about. And um, we have the weekly rabbit hole, which is uh, something that I wanted to uh, discuss. And then we will follow up with Miles' uh, hometown horror. And I can't wait to hear about that. So if I jump into the weekly rabbit hole, I don't know about you, Miles, but I spent a lot of time on the internet <laughs> and watching. YouTube, going on Reddit, um, you know, Googling things, 
And the thing is that once I start, I can't stop. And I was on YouTube and this is something that I've been sort of uh, watching for a while because the thing I'm going to be talking about today is called Local 58. Local 58 is a creepy, cryptic uh, TV news network channel um, that's on YouTube. And they've been posting found footage-ish and like TV PSAs style videos sporadically over the last like four years on their YouTube channel. Um, and not only that, but their websites is like full of weird hints and like hidden imageries and messages and people are like digging into it. Um, and people to this day, still after four years, people are still on Reddit and in the forums trying to figure out what the hell (laughs) it's about. Um, and the videos and materials, they vary in content. It's not like a very, uh, you know, uh, logic sequence of videos that seem to follow one another and i don't want to go into it too much so i'm staying sort of cryptic on purpose because i want people to really experience it for them for themselves um so i really invite you to go look on youtube uh local 58 tv that's their channel and they actually posted recently uh, uh, one of the videos two months ago so they're still active they're still posting things but it is quite approachable because there's not like dozens of videos. There's, I, I don't recall the number, but there's like 10 videos, something like that. So you can binge watch them pretty quickly and then you can get into it, go on the Reddit and, you know, there's a subreddit r slash local 58 if you want to continue to discuss and theorize with people there. And it's really creepy. It's a type of uh, horror that I like because it's very much into the tapping into the, the, the scariness of the unknown less than showing you something obvious. You know, it's making you wonder, what the hell is this? You don't know if it's something supernatural or if sometimes they tease these weird, like, apocalyptic events. Sometimes it feels like it's about aliens. Sometimes it feels like it's about something supernatural. It's really unclear. It's very creative. It's a roller coaster and something to get really into easily. And I really invite you to go check it out. And if you want to learn more about the creators and everything on the Reddit, there is threads, you know, dedicated to the creators of Local 58. But before doing that, I would say go in, you know, with a virgin eye, <laughs> you know, look at it. And then afterwards, if you want to learn more, go go dig into the real behind the scene. But uh, yeah, that, that's my little weekly rabbit hole. Um, and I hope that you will enjoy. And uh, next week I'll bring bring to you something new. Yeah, stuff like that is super exciting because I remember spending hours online with friends like late at night, like the 2 a.m. sessions. We've we've been hanging out and we we see something weird. We see something oh, yeah. off online. We're like, what is this? And we, we mm. end up watching a video on YouTube and we're like, oh, and that takes us to another video on YouTube that's related. And you're like, <laughs> yeah. oh my God, what is happening? Is this, is this all happen? Is this all connected? What is, mm. what, how deep does this go? And you kind of, you know, your, your lizard conspiracy brain starts like going mm. down all the different scenarios and local 58. I know we, we talked about this a little bit, um, but I like that format of kind of like a news broadcast. Yeah. Because it adds like reality to it, even though it's mm-hmm. not real. You can kind of immerse yourself in this idea that it is real. Uh, did you watch yeah. VHS 94? No, I haven't. There is an amazing, like one of oh, the. Oh, wait, no, the new VHS. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah I saw it with the Hail Rotma. Yeah, Hail Rotma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that yeah, whole yeah, thing. Like, yeah. Oh, so good. So oh, good. Yeah. 
Oh, that was so fun. <laughs> so even that, that so inside fun. the context of a movie that mm. I'm watching on a streaming service is exciting. But I know when we were talking about doing the show, we wanted to have uh, some sort of alt, quote unquote alternative horror mm -hmm. section. And yeah. it's cool to like have that disconnect. So you're disconnected from a movie. You're disconnected yeah. from a show. You're disconnected from a game. This is something that exists outside of that world. And there's this mm -hmm. air of mystery and allure to it. Well, yeah, because it's a way to, to me, I, and that's one thing that I really like about the internet now is that you have a way to experience horror in a way that is unsettling because it's not this sort of box that's being presented to you like you are watching a movie that's a horror movie. It's not this structured, you know, experience that you have. It's like, like you said, you notice a little bit of something and you're like, ooh, what is that? And then you see something else and then you notice something else. And it's all very sort of disconnected. And um, it, it adds this sense of, you know, um, almost like discovery and uh, anxiety because you're like, hmm, like, I know this isn't real, but like, what if? What, <laughs> I know. know what, if, what if it is real? So, people are very creative, both on social media and on YouTube. People are like releasing these things to bait people into getting you know into the, the the story and i think that's very clever a very clever way to use the internet and anybody can do it you know some people who aren't making movies are doing it so i think it's super interesting to see yeah i'm excited so to what see about your horror what other horror stuff story? you dig up yeah so hometown horror as we touched on at the, the the front half of this show this is a section that is listener focused it's driven by by you the listeners writing in so what i want is I want your local urban legends, I want your hometown scary stories, and I want your unexplained experiences. So if you have any of these, shoot us an email at fearontappodcast at gmail.com. Um, yes. Break it down. I'm, I'm excited to dive in. But since this is our first episode and we don't have anyone listening yet, what I wanted to do is share one of my own unexplainable experiences Ooh. and this is this is my kind of go-to story because my wife and i always joke around that i'm i'm the cliche skeptic in the horror movie who gets killed who's like i don't mm. believe you i don't believe in <laughs> ghosts there's no demon here demons are dumb hey demon you suck and then i die like that's i'm that guy in the horror movie 100 very skeptical <laughs> even though i like Diving in and, and, and thinking about the possibilities. I watched a lot of mm -hmm. supernatural TV shows because I just I, I like that world and the, the possibility of some kind of unknown, but I don't buy it myself. So my hometown horror story here. So I was a wee lad, probably about 15 years old. Mm -hmm. I was I was home alone. I was on the phone with my girlfriend, who is, is now my wife, oddly enough, uh, or funny enough, I guess. Shout out. So I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm, I'm talking to her um, and my kitchen, it was, has this very specific shitty linoleum tile. And why I remember this is because when you walk on it, it makes a specific sound, like the sound of walking on this tile because it was so sticky. It had this distinct texture. So my, my bedroom was at the end of the hall across from the kitchen. So this tile led from my bedroom to the kitchen. So I'm in the bedroom on the phone. Nobody's home. My, my family's out. I forget what, for what reason. My sister and both my parents, they were out doing something. I was home alone on the phone. Talking to my wife, blah, 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 blah. I hear that signature footstep. And I'm like, okay, cool. So oh, I, no. I, I literally tell her, hey, hold on. I think my parents are here. I'll, I'll, I'm going to go check on them and say hi. So I open the door 
it's it's black. No lights are on. No one's there. And I'm Ew. like, uh, so I tell her, I'm like, hey, hold on. I think someone's I thought someone broke in. I'm like, I think someone's in my house. I'm going to keep you on the phone. Like if anything weird happens, like I think someone is in my house because it is such a specific tone. And it was like seven, seven footsteps to me that that made me just think, oh, yeah, my parents are here. So I'm on the phone with her. I go. I, I search every room. I turn all the lights on in the house. I search everywhere. Nothing, nothing, no one. I hate that. And to this day, I have not been able to explain what that encounter was like what happened there because it wasn't you know sometimes you hear a noise and then your brain starts to go wild and you fill in the blanks like oh it could have been a scream it could have been a a growl it could have been this like that those footsteps on that shitty linoleum tile were so specific to me and such a a just a sound that was embedded in my head that i I have a hard time believing I misinterpreted what I was hearing. So to this day, I don't know what the hell it was. I didn't Ooh. get killed by a ghost or a demon or or a home intruder. Or did you? Or unless the, <laughs> unless somebody did break in and is like living under the floorboards of that house now. Um, Ew, no. <laughs> so, so that is my hometown horror story. I want to hear yours. So again, if you have something to share, send us an email at fearontappodcast at gmail.com. And I am looking forward to sharing your uh your your spooky tales i can't wait to 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 read what people have for us because you know i think there's so many stories that exist you know in news story and through you know obviously movies and things like that but uh i think there's always a whole level of creepiness that comes when it's something that happened to someone you know where it's there's, like people are not making things up. Sometimes they are, but you yeah, know, sometimes think, they are. But. <laughs> sometimes they are. Like you know, obviously, but like you, like you said, you're not someone who is initially very you know prone to believe in the supernatural and the paranormal and things like that. So for you to say, you know what, I can't explain what happened. You know, that creeps me out. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It, it was. I remember just being in that moment and just like having that sinking feeling in your chest when you think like you're in danger. Like, I think someone yeah. has broken into my house and is going to hurt me like that feeling. And then to oh. be like, it wasn't even that it was something beyond that. And, um, yeah, that, that, that whole experience is really interesting. And again, like I used to spend a lot of time w- with friends sitting around telling these stories, listening to, mm-hmm. to their experiences, listening to a story that one of their friends told them that one of their friends told them and just like getting that kind of that local lore uh, and it's yeah it's just it's fascinating like even if it's c- total bs like <laughs> if you can sell me on it I- i'll listen i'll listen to it. I-, I agree it's kind of like we want to do our own little version of the midnight society from um is it our, are you afraid of the dark oh the yeah midnight society? are you afraid of the dark yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> where people kind of like share and then at the end of the episode they're like they're like shut down the fire with a bucket of water <laughs> The yeah. smoke and cred- cred- fade to black credits roll. <laughs> yeah, so definitely send us your story, people. And yeah, so that is actually the end of our first episode uh, for Fear on Tap. That is, uh, wow, yeah, one one episode down. Um, I don't know, 500, 600 more to go? Or what do we think do in it. here? Let's do it. We'll do it. We'll do it. And I, that was super cool. I think, you know, we're very open to feedback. Obviously, this is our first episode and uh, we want to know what you think. Do you have feedback on topics, uh, perhaps the format or segments that we're doing? If ever you're um, having issues with 
anything, you know, definitely reach out to us at the email. Again, we have an email. It is fearontappodcast at gmail.com. And we also have a social media for our podcast. We don't have like any followers yet. So <laughs> go, go and follow us. Post those numbers up, guys. Let's, let's exactly. go. And we'll follow up with some little like follow up, you know, tweets. And uh, you can join us at Fear on Tap on Twitter. And uh, my own Twitter is at the Slasher Chick. Miles, what is your Twitter? Mine is just at Miles Dompierre. Nice and boring. Nice and easy to remember. <laughs> um, but yeah, huge shout out to everyone who's listening again. Like this is something that I've been wanting to do for a long time. I'm glad we got in touch. Like the way that yes. we got in touch was pretty random. But um, I'm, ex I'm excited that we're able to sit down and we've recorded one episode. That is exciting. Yes. Um, again, yeah, this is our we're shaking the dust off. We're getting yeah. in our groove, figuring all that out. So I appreciate you all bearing bearing with us and and checking out uh, episode one of Fear on Tap. Yeah, thank you so much. And I want to thank you, Miles, for co-hosting with me. And I'm excited to uh, hop on this journey with you. And I can't wait to see what people think and, uh, you know, d dive into more horror things. Um, so next week, to give you a bit of a, a preview of where we're going to be diving into next week. So because Fear on Tap is not just focusing on movies, we are celebrating horror in all its forms. And Absolutely. One of, one, one of those forms is video games. And uh, the video game we're going to be talking about next week is Phasmophobia. Um, and if you're not aware uh, about Phasmophobia, it is a ghost hunting video game that is multiplayer and it's been um, out um, for about, I would say a year now. And it was out in uh, partly in early access. And uh, there's a lot of things that we can chat about, about this, uh, this game. I played quite a bit of it. I know miles played a little bit of it as well. And we want to know what you think. So before the, uh, the episode next week, you can also share with us your thoughts about phasmophobia, what you think, and what are your hopes, your concerns about uh, the game and, we're going to get all into it next week. Again, thank you everyone for uh, listening and we'll see you next week for a new episode of Fear on Tap. Join us on social media. And in the meantime, have a jolly good old time. Um, and uh, yeah, go watch Society if you haven't. Honestly, you definitely should. Cheers, everybody. Bye. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs>